everyone, welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy as usual. Now today we are talking to Noé. Noé was born in the UK from a French mother and a Spanish father. He spent the first 10 years of his life in England, then moved to Dubai where he stayed for four years and then to Jamaica for another four years and eventually settled down for now in Florida, USA, living in Miami. Noé shares with us how those travel and moves shape the person he became today. So this is the first half of the episode. In the second half, we talk about finance, cryptocurrency and investment. Noé is passionate by finance and innovation. That's why he really got into crypto and he helps other people to invest in crypto, people that don't know anything about it. He talked to us and he explains to us the basic concept of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, blockchain. So if you have heard about it, but you don't understand it's just a big blur for you stick with us and hopefully by the end of the episode you will understand a little bit better what this is all about enjoy the show Noe, welcome to the show hey thank you for having me we met in gratitude training a couple of years ago it's been a while now and we did some a lot of things together because we were in the same group (laughs) And that gave us the opportunity to chat quite a little bit. And I remember vividly you telling me about traveling as a kid, growing up in a multicultural household and stuff like that, because you have French roots and I'm French. So we, we, we talked about this and, um, and I, I thought that was super interesting because traveling when you're young and everything is a great way to forge a personality, to see the world, to ex- expand, you know, the, your, your circle of friends and everything you, you, you know about the world. But it can also be tricky in terms of friendship and building relationship and having a sense of home. So I thought that'd be really interesting to see what's your, what's your take on, on, on that and how did you feel, especially in your teen years when you were going places. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just to give people some background, um, my my dad is French, my mom is Spanish, and um, I was born in England. So my, my parents have been traveling for, for some time for work. And um, so the first move that I made was when I was 10 from England to Dubai. And, uh, you know, I think what happened to me was because I had been moving around, my sense of home really shifted from, um, you know, kind of like a geographic place to where the people are. Mm-hmm. And so really for me, um, it was wherever the nuclear family was, which is my parents, um, that became kind of the new home. And so um, sometimes I joke around actually that I'm kind of like a snail because I take my home wherever I go. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, you have your cocoon, your family, and yeah, wherever you are, you you have this love and safety that you need to to be yourself. Yeah, absolutely. How it was though at 10 years old when you have friends and school going on and everything to, to be taken away to a very far country with a, a quite different culture as well? Yeah. So, so the first move was, um, to Dubai. I actually, I remember when I was moving there, um, I was crying a lot, you know, um, I think it's kind of a young age and that's also kind of an age where you're making a lot of, um, friendships and relationships. Um, so it was, it was kind of tough, you know, um, but also with that was a sense of adventure because it's a you know a new place um dubai at the time was going through a a massive um economic boom Mm. and so i ended up making a lot of new friends um from all over the world and um for me that was a really amazing experience because i went to an international school and um i was able to meet people from you know from Africa, from India, from Pakistan, from the U.S., everywhere. And um, that gave me a really, like, global context. And um, so in, in that regard, you know, I'm super grateful for that as well. So in, in hindsight, it was great. Yeah, I guess it's also a great way 
to pretty early in life break down all the cliche you could have about you know uh, meeting people of different religion different races different colors stuff like that having like such a, a melting pot in the same place when you are young it becomes normal to have different people so you don't see them as different anymore you just see them as people which i guess is helpful in your adult life when you meet people and you don't have all those stigma that we can have when you're growing up in let's say like a white exclusively middle class space and that's all you see and everything else is not normal for for us yeah exactly so you know touching on the religion point um dubai's uh islamic country but then i also had a lot of friends um from india so they you know celebrate diwali and etc cetera, etc cetera. and so um you know now when you know i see a different culture it's like oh i i get it like that's that's kind of like their thing right and it definitely gives me today um more perspective and also i think a lot of openness mm -hmm. to just all kinds of experiences and cultures um which is truly amazing um and i think that and for me kind of the most interesting move was so um i was born in england i lived there until i was 10. um then i moved to dubai i lived there for four years and then when i was 14 um i made the move to jamaica and so that was kind of like a stark contrast to you know living in the in a country full of ferraris <laughs> and <laughs> and just you know people from all over the world to going to a place that a lot of people would consider a, a third world country right mm -hmm. at the time and also the ethnic um balance is, is very different right um i think it's something like 99 percent of people are you know black or of color and less than one percent of the people um are white and so that really kind of flipped the script for me um because i was used to being in a place um that was affluent that ha that was very multicultural to a place that was um basically the opposite of that and um that for me was was a huge shock um actually we had some friends that when they moved there the first day that they arrived to jamaica on their uh taxi ride back home um they were actually held up at gunpoint and they had all their things stolen and so that was kind of like the story that we had before even arriving so i i remember kind of arriving there in, in like a state of fear mm -hmm. um gotcha. and 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 really like confusion not knowing what you know i can't understand these people etc um but really you know over the course of the the time that i was there um what was amazing was that over time, I learned how to um, integrate more with the culture, you know, um, how to speak, how to, and also um, being very mindful of kind of like the history that occurred there with slavery, et cetera. And, and um, that was something that was always kind of around and you can see. So, um, so yeah, that, that was really definitely a, a, a changing moment for me to just learn also how to, you know, readapt again to like a different kind of environment. What was the, the reason of those moves? If... So my dad is an engineer. He works in uh, power generation. He works in power stations. And so, you know, he would typically go to developing countries. Um, for different contracts so mm. um that's why okay yeah i've got to say that i don't know too much about jamaica apart from what everyone knows about music and sprint and stuff like that but i've got to say like, about the country itself i don't know much i've got to say it doesn't have a great reputation in terms of safety and stuff like that i like m most of the things i've heard about jamaica or yeah, mostly negative, but I know it's a narrative that goes for a lot of places in the world, so I don't want to get attached to it. Um, but yeah, I don't know, can you tell us a little bit about life over there? Because I guess, yeah, it's quite poor. Um, it's not a big, big island as well, right? I mean... No, it's relatively small. Um, the thing about Jamaica is that they have uh, very rich, like, natural resources. There's, okay. Like, their soil there is incredible. 
and they used to have um, a big sugar exporting um, industry there, as well as bauxite, which, which is aluminium. Um, but of course, um, you know, with slavery, that kind of set them up um, in an unfavorable way. And then um, with with politics, etc., it, it's it's been hard for them to like kind of get out of this this cycle of poverty, so to speak. Um, that being said, you know the island is is pretty amazing. Um, just from you know, if you love like the beaches and the islands, you know the fact that you have mountains next to the ocean is just like with these incredible like lush um, rainforests. It's really incredible, um, and the food there is is really good. So um, for me, it, you know. I was never able, to, I guess, to like fully integrate into the day-to-day -day life of mm -hmm. people, as you mentioned, kind of like because of these safety concerns, it, it wouldn't be smart for me to just walk around downtown, you know, and um, kind of make myself a target, so to speak. And so it was always kind of like this balance, actually, between... Um, you know, wanting to just be like a regular person and just be able to walk down the street. Um, because, you know, I, I, as a, as a white person, you know, like you would get heckled or you, people will be like, Hey, white boy, this and that. And I was mm. like, I never experienced that. It was kind of like this reverse racism. And it sometimes people get annoyed when I talk about it. Um, because it's very one way, but I think that, um, Racism is really just, it can go either way, right? Like, I didn't, you know, it's not my fault that, you know, th this history is real, but, you know, I have nothing to do th with that. So, like, why are you calling me names, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, there was some of that, but, of course, you know, you have to have the understanding of where they're coming from as well. Um, so, you know, it, it I would say it was a little... Um, Sheltered, I would say I have to shelter myself a little bit, um, but at the same time, it was an amazing adventure too, in terms of just like, um, you know, meeting locals and and going out. They're really good at uh, partying. I learned how to party in Jamaica, <laughs> <laughs> and they have really good rum. Um, um, carnival season is amazing as well, where they bring in soca music and they um, have a festival in the street. So. You know, there's a lot of really good times and there's a lot of good vibes, a lot of good people, amazing nature. Um, I, I would say that kind of, you know, sums up a lot of my experiences. How long did you stay there? So I stayed there four years. Four so years, I moved, okay. yeah, from, from 14 to 18. So were you going to a local school, an international school? or? Yeah, I went to a school that was kind of like a public-private hybrid, so to speak. Okay. So um, in Kingston, which is where I was, there was the American school, and then they had, and then I went to a school called Hillel Academy, which was kind of like a mix. So you know, we had uh, expats, and then we also had mm. uh, local Jamaicans who, you know, they were probably more from you know, better off families, but so it, it was a nice mix in that way. So starting your education in the UK and finishing later your education in the US, but so you, you did your entire thing in, in four countries then, how, how did you feel? Like, did you feel a, a continuity or that was kind of hard and confusing for you to be moving? I mean, four years is a pretty good amount to be stable, but you also break down your whole scholarship into pieces like how do you feel about that did you feel it was an issue or not really um not really actually i think that the chunking was pretty good for me mm. because of those kind of four-year chunks right and uh ending on even numbers um my sister suffered a little bit more because uh when we left from jamaica she still had one more year of, of school so then she had to go to a boarding school um in spain um but for me, you know, I did I did an IB program in Dubai from 10 to 14. In Jamaica, I did IGCSE, which is the international version of the English GCSE. 
and then I did an IB program as well, and then I went right into college. So um, it all worked out fine. Yeah. And what about in terms of making friends? Because like we said, four years is quite a good chunk of time, but then also I guess it's a good enough amount of time to make friends and then get yeah, get attached and you know love them and everything, and then you're off again somewhere else. How was that growing up from you know, leaving England? You said that you cried a lot when you left the first time. Was it just as difficult when you left Dubai and then also when you left... Uh, Jamaica in terms of making friends but also yeah, leaving them mm. yeah so um you definitely that's definitely enough time to you know create attachments and unfortunately I think a lot of connections get lost over time as well just with the move and um you know it was when I first moved to Dubai actually I was super upset because <laughs> You know, I had a ton of fun friends over there. Effectively, you know, in Dubai it was a bunch of kids and um, with parents with high-paying jobs mm. with not enough supervision. So, um, so we were having a blast, right? And then I had to go to another country where it was, you know, very different. So, um, so that one was probably the hardest move mm. going back from Dubai to Jamaica. I still keep in touch with some of the people there you know, just through Facebook and, and things like that. But, you know, I feel like it, it's pretty hard to maintain connections if you don't have kind of like that in-person um, connection or you make a really conscious um, effort with it. Um, you know, moving from Jamaica, which at the time I was 18, to go to college, to go to Florida, um, that transition was not as difficult. I think it was maybe because I was older, but I think also because the school that I went to, a lot of the students kind of were dispersing anyways to different parts of the world. Mm. Either they were going to college in the U.S. or Canada or, or the U.K., etc. Um, so I feel like it was kind of a more natural parting of ways, so to speak. And, you know, there, there's still people that I keep in touch with there as well, and some of them are in Florida now, and, and those are actually like my best friend is one of my friends from high school um, in Jamaica, and he's here in Florida now. Mm. When, you were, when you went to Dubai and then when you went to Jamaica, did you know that you were going to stay four years? Um, I think so. Maybe not exactly, exactly, but um, my you dad... You it was temporary, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. we did. Okay, because mm -hmm. I wonder if consciously or not, because you know you're going to be leaving at some point, and not at 10 years old, but more maybe in Jamaica when you're 14, you're like, I'm, I know this is temporary. I'm going to be moving away anyway. So maybe you protect yourself and you build, you know, a, 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 like a little cocoon around you that I'm, maybe I'm not going to get attached to those people because I know in two years they're not going to be part of my life anymore. So I'm, I'm not going to do anything to hurt myself. Um. I, 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 well, in a way, but I, I wouldn't say that I cocooned myself. I would just say, you know, we're just more open to, to the ending mm -hmm. in terms of like the connections still happen. It's, but, um, but, you know, at the end of the four years, you know, the last year of school, everyone's discussing, you know, what school are you going to? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to, you know, the West Coast. I'm going to the East Coast, et cetera. So. I think we had everyone had a lot of time to say, you know, we're all going on a new adventure. Um, yeah, it was the end of a cycle. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so, yeah. yeah. And why did you pick Florida? <laughs> um, so, you know, I got lucky that um, uh, I got a scholarship from FIU. They actually came to, to Jamaica to recruit at the time. They were giving a lot of scholarships. Mm. Um, so I so I got a scholarship to go to FIU. I got accepted to a couple other schools in the U.S. And, you know, I could always go back to Europe, which is um, where my parents are. And, and I can go to university basically for free in Europe. Mm -hmm. So but it was an easy choice for me. It was either, you know, go to Miami on a full ride or, or kind of go back home to the safer things or, yeah. you know. So I decided to move to Miami and uh, take full advantage of that. I've got a question that might be obvious for all the American listeners, but not for me. Um, 
when you watch movies, you know, you hear that people get a scholarship because they play basketball and they play football and stuff like that. Um, did you get a scholarship because you had a special skill or or that's just a thing they give scholarship to people just because? I don't know how it works. So, so at the time, FIU was giving these scholarships just based on merit, so on academics. Okay. So it just had to do with, you know, my my GPA and also the SAT scores at the time. So I did spend a lot of time, you know, I took the SATs multiple times and, you know, studied, et cetera. So, um, you know, in hopes of actually qualifying for that scholarship. Mm -hmm. And it worked, thankfully. Okay. Okay. So you can get a scholarship because of athletic things or because of brain uh, capacity. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Brain capacity. You know how to phrase that. Being smart, I think is... Being smart, here we yeah. are. <laughs> so what did you study at university, at college? So I started, uh, my dad is an engineer, so I started uh, with an engineering degree. Um, however, after taking physics with calculus two, which was torture, and also visiting the engineering campus and realizing there's... Um, the guy to girl ratio was not where I wanted it to be. <laughs> I ended up switching to a uh, finance degree. Um, yeah, later on, I added also real estate. So I ended up doing a real estate and finance uh, undergrad. Oh. Yeah. How was being a student in Miami from 18 years old? That must, that's a fun place to be at this age, I feel. I wish I was there when I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. No, it, it was great. And um, I took part in the Honors College. So um, that was really a good experience because the Honors College is, you know, they, they take, well, first of all, so first of all, you, ha you have to have a minimum GPA, but secondly, you have to actually apply and want to be in the Honors College, right? So Um, that kind of created a little family for me um, because also a lot of international students were a part of that. And um, I was able to, to live on campus. So it, it was really good, you know, just make, meeting new people um, and also kind of like cultivating kind of like that, that family vibe with, I was lucky I had a lot of good professors, especially in the Honors College, who were able to cultivate kind of like that sense of like community and, and bonding. And is it as fun and crazy than what we see in American Pie and all those funny movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it can be. And, you know, what was interest interesting for me was um, as a student, obviously, you know, we partied and, you know, had fun, etc. But it was also um, because the campus is so far west and mm -hmm. when you live on campus, it's kind of like you're in a little bubble. You're just in the city of of FIU, that when I graduated and when I moved uh, down to closer to downtown, it was like I was rediscovering Miami all oh, over right. again. Yeah. And like, at, and then, you know, also in in the US, you can't drink when you're 18, right? You have to wait until you're 21. So and most people graduate when they're around 22. So it's kind of like, after graduating, it was like another cycle of, you know, having fun and getting out there again. Um, so that was pretty cool. Are you trying to make me think that you didn't drink before you were 21. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm French, so we started a little earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so then how long have you been in Florida now? How long's that been? It's been eight years now. So it's, it's been a while. Yeah. And do you see yourself staying there? Or do you see yourself kind of being one of those people like your parents that moves every mm -hmm. five to 10 years? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of conflicted to be honest, because um, being an immigrant in the U.S. is, on the one hand, I want to put down some roots mm -hmm. to kind of like be stable. But then on the other hand, I do think about kind of my past and my parents. And I'm like, well, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I, you know, lived in Colombia or just, you know, said, screw it, I'm, I'm going, you know, to East Asia or something like that. Kind of like your guys' mm -hmm. journey is very appealing for me. Um, so, you know, what I'm thinking right now is I probably want to lay down some roots here in Florida for, for a while and then uh, maybe do some, some more traveling or slash exploration a little later. I feel it can go either way when you grow up moving around. I guess you get the travel bug pretty badly and you can never be 
attached to a place and you keep going or maybe because you didn't have this routing because you didn't have this attachment to a place then when you feel good in somewhere so in Miami for you because you love this place because you have friends and everything it's like I'm 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 going to have my foundation there because I didn't have that maybe in the past you can go either way yeah I would agree I probably fall right there so let's talk finance now wh why did you pick finance for a start apart from the fact that there were more girls in the class <laughs> <laughs> um it's always been something that's natural to me I think okay. maybe finance chose me in a certain aspect um you know my first businesses were like selling candy in high school and so I've all <laughs> yeah so I've always kind of been entrepreneurial I think and um markets are are pretty interesting because you're combining both like analytical skills in terms of yeah you have to analyze a company and, and do spreadsheets etc and um there's that part but then there's also market psychology right and it's kind of you're playing a game of chess against everyone else and trying to figure out okay you know everyone's feeling uh super depressed about this stock maybe it's about to turn around or vice versa everyone's going crazy this is just a speculative so it, there's kind of also that human element that I like to it and it's it's kind of like these complex macro um problems or like opportunities to solve yeah so when did you graduate from FIU yeah i graduated in 2017 17 so like four years ago now yeah when you graduated you did you find yourself in a place where okay i finished a new cycle uh do i try to get a job in the us uh like what do i do you know like graduating is one thing now you need to enter the real life <laughs> the real world how did you go and decided what to do so while i was in college i um i had opt time so i was able to do a couple of, like internships and work um inside of that time i was also i i did a, a bunch of crazy jobs too i worked for this one guy um who was flipping houses and i was literally working basically construction even though that wasn't our deal <laughs> um you know so i did property management which was kind of a, a tough job as well just dealing with the craziest tenants and the craziest owners as well <laughs> um so basically i had been working within while i was studying as well so thankfully the transition was was pretty smooth i think you know your last year of college a lot of people are focused on that anyways like i would have loved to been able to work at like a jp morgan or something like that um but i didn't get selected um but also in a way you know in hindsight i'm kind of i'm kind of thankful i think that i didn't go to jp morgan and work in investment banking you know grinding my my soul out for yeah. three years um i think you know i really enjoy kind of things that are like I guess going with the flow is is one way to put it and um you know I've been able to like bounce around do different jobs and and also have like more things to do outside of work so yeah and that's how you you grow and learn intimately I mean you acquire new skills every time you also figure out what you like and don't like so it's yeah. always a great way to figure out I think it's something good to do when you're in your early 20s then potentially later so now you work mainly in crypto yeah this is something i'm really excited to talk to you about because <laughs> it's a topic that we i don't know it's a lot in my newsfeed i don't know if that's the case for a lot of people <laughs> but i get a lot of things in my newsfeed about it uh it's probably the future of finance in some way and it's confusing, I think, a lot of people. I have so many questions. <laughs> right, here you go. I'll let you the mic. Like, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Like, I know that it's good to invest in crypto. I have no idea what that means. I just hear people saying, mm -hmm. you should invest in crypto. You'll become a millionaire. And it's like, okay, but what even is that? 
So, what, yeah, first question, what is crypto? Here we go. What is cryptocurrency? Okay, so cryptocurrency is a broad blanket term. It's kind of like saying it's stocks, right? And then which okay. kind of stocks? Um, the first cryptocurrency was created in 2008, mm -hmm. and it was a direct response to the financial crisis that just occurred, right? Mm -hmm. It was created by an alias, so we don't know who actually created the first cryptocurrency, which was Bitcoin. Um, it was created by somebody who used the alias Satoshi Nakamoto. And we don't know if it's a person, we don't know if it's a group, if they're alive or, or dead. And that actually kind of gives it power because, because we don't know who created it and it still runs by itself. There's no one individual person that we can say, hey, crypto is bad, let's sue that guy or let's put him in jail. So what that created was it kind of flipped the status quo in terms of like usually in all of history monies are issued by governments or by yeah. dictators or etc now bitcoin um, we'll start with bitcoin and we'll talk about crypto later um it was a coin that was created in a way that was um really for the people and by the people so it was a different philosophy it was a more decentralized uh bottom-up type of uh monetary system so, so in 2008, uh, and by the way, there were people trying to create this kind of digital e-cash before Bitcoin was invented. But the issue with that was that these crypto, or rather these digital currencies, were they always relied on a central database. And a cent one place where all the information is stored, if somebody hacks that, then the entire system is messed up. So uh -huh. what Satoshi Nakamoto did was that he figured out how to get this database, basically a ledger of who owns what, um, to be distributed across many computers, which meant that even if one computer was hacked because all the other ones were still fine, the whole system was able to be resilient and, and not crumble, basically. Uh -huh. um, so Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency that was invented or created um it's there can only ever be 21 million of them created and they're created through a, a process called mining uh what mining is is effectively their computers that compete by solving algorithms they they basically do kind of like this useless work that gener that costs a lot of um energy to do and then they're and then they're, what they're doing at the end when they solve the algorithm is that they take all the transactions that occur um, for Bitcoin and then they put it onto the blockchain and then that those transactions get distributed across the world to all the nodes um, who then they kind of verify that those transactions are correct. Um, so that's kind of how it works on a like, I guess like a technical level, right? Uh -huh. um, so effectively, it's a digital currency um, that is decentralized, um, that's very extremely hard to hack. Nobody's ever done it since it's existed. It's worth um, around, you know, a billion dollars of value stored just through Bitcoin. Uh -huh. um, so it's pretty huge now. Um, so, so that's just... Um, that's just Bitcoin and that's kind of like a store value and people compare it now to like digital gold as an alternative um, place to store your money. I think that in the future when we have AI robots, et cetera, they're probably gonna use Bitcoin as currency. They're not gonna use shiny metals. It doesn't make sense for them. Yeah. So kind of like given where the whole world is going to being more digital, you know, virtual reality, the metaverse, et cetera, it just makes sense that digital currencies are going to start to capture more of that market share of um, of currencies. So Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency that was um, ever created. Then the next major one that came about was Ethereum. So um, the network for Bitcoin is very basic. The only thing you can do is transfer Bitcoins to another person, okay. which is great. I can send you wealth effectively. So it's kind of like the landline. The only thing you could do was call somebody and send them a message. Mm -hmm. Then um, another guy called Vitalik created um, Ethereum. And so he, what he did was he basically took the landline and made the internet. 
And so on Ethereum, we can send each other Ethereum, but we can also write smart contracts. So we can make agreements and we can also make applications. So we can make a financial application. We can say, okay, um, we're going to do a sports betting application. If Barcelona wins the next football game, Rosie, you're going to have to send me a hundred bucks. If Real Madrid wins, I owe you a hundred dollars. And effectively we can code that into the blockchain and whatever happens, the transaction is going to execute. Mm -hmm. And so, and we can create different types of agreements, right? We could, um, we could do a loan. We could do some kind of insurance, right? If, if the temperature goes below X, you know, there's a payout for the farmer. And what's nice about smart contracts is that, um, because they're put onto the blockchain, they will execute no matter what. So it, it's a pro and a con. If you draft the, the smart contract correctly, it's going to execute as you want. If there's an error in the code and it, there's a bug, there's no going back. Whatever happened, happened. Exactly. So, um, the blockchain is, uh, immutable. Once it occurs, it, it can be changed. Um, so all these smart contracts and all these applications, they're really allowing, oh, so what they allow us to do is bypass like the legal system in a way, because now if you, let's say in the example of our bet, let's say we just made a, we did a handshake deal or we signed a contract about it. You might decide not to pay me if the bet went out and then I have to sue you. And all of that takes a lot of time. It, you know, how do I trust, you know, that Rosie is going to pay when it's on the blockchain? that trust is minimized because because we're using kind of like blockchain technology to to assure that whatever we say is going to happen in the smart contract will occur um so this is going to allow people to trade um without um without needing so much trust so like now let's say we want to buy something from china or you know previously where we would need a trusted middleman with blockchain we can deal directly yeah, it's like when you uh, buy a house and you're going to a notary to validate the transaction, like the blockchain is going to replace this dude now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so smart contracts and, you know, now they're doing a lot of like NFTs, so we can get into that as well. Um, so with all these smart contracts, people started making games and um, they also created what's called NFTs. So NFTs are different from regular cryptocurrencies because um, regular cryptos are considered fungible. And what that means is something that's fungible means that like um, two grains of sand are like the same pretty much. So like two different Bitcoins are the same to you. There's no difference. Um, but for an NFT, every NFT is unique. It's basically the way to think about it is every NFT has a serial number that's unique. So okay. um, it can be identified. And so people are using NFTs for different purposes. I think um, the most commonly used one is that it serves as like a title or a certificate for something. So like an NFT is not a JPEG. The NFT represents the rights to the JPEG or the rights to the song, or maybe it's um, Let's say you're a famous artist and you create a, an art piece and then you split an auction. You could also give the buyer an NFT, which is effectively like a certificate that represents that's the original. And then let's say this guy goes to sell it to somebody else. When he sells the painting, he should also transfer the NFT to certify um, that it's the real thing. If now if that painting gets sold and there's no NFT to go with it, then you can say, wait, hold on. Are you the real owner? Is this stolen? Is this a fake? So that's kind of like where the value of the NFTs um, come in. It's also, um, there's also like a lot of speculation in, in the space. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I mean, like some NFTs, I, I think they're pretty cool. For example, like you can buy um, like little five second clips from like NBA games where the guy, you yeah, know, hits a three pointer. Yeah, Top Shot, for example. So you can like own that little piece of history. Um, but then there's also a lot of people, they just create art collections and then they're using the NFTs as a way to like sell um, their art. And we actually have a common friend, Julian, who, uh, who just sold his first painting. Yeah, I've um, seen that a few days ago. Yeah, I told her. <laughs> We've interviewed him, so go listen to the episode. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, um, for example, like another way, 
I'm thinking about is what Gary V did with the V friends, where you can buy a doodle. So the the drink by itself is you know it's not amazing, um, but there are things attached to it. Uh, access to Vicon. Uh, some of them have a one-on-one call with him based on the rarity. So you can attach perks, things to 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 the object, to the token. Uh, so yeah, it's not just the JPEG you're buying. It's also the whatever comes with it, whatever is in the contract behind it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so another question. <laughs> Jeremy was wanting to buy an NFT and it was one that was quite popular. And I said, well, if we both do it at the same time, we're more likely to buy it. And he said, we don't have any Ethereum, so you can't buy it. And I was like, well, can I just buy some? He said, no, you have to mine it. And I was like, well, how do I mine it? Like, it just made zero sense to me about how you even start. I think you have to be somebody who either knows somebody to do it for you or you have to do a shit ton of research. Like, if I wanted to buy Ethereum or mine it or... No, yeah, that's easy. No, I mean, she's, say that's she easy. means I have no minting idea. an NFT. That's minting, what she meant. yeah, I don't oh, know. I don't know all the vocab, <laughs> but it just seems like it just makes zero sense to me. Like, how does somebody start? Is it best to get somebody to help you? Is it best to spend hours reading? Is it even worth doing? I just have so many questions. <laughs> so I definitely think it's it. I think, you know, there's obviously a huge, like, knowledge gap to, to be filled in, like, you know, even just going through the story of Bitcoin, you know, took a while. Um, so I think it's worth it. I think the best way to approach it is watch YouTube videos. You know, I don't think you have to read for hours. I don't think you have to understand all the technical pieces, right? Like we don't know how airplanes work on their every little detail, but we still get in the airplane and fly across yeah. the country. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, getting the basics down um, helps. You could also work with like a financial advisor. Um, if you want to invest, you can always invest in through like products. So like um, Robinhood has a product, Wealthforge has one. You can invest in, the, in a fund if that's available to you. Um, if you just want to put money, but what I recommend to most people is to follow like a dollar cost averaging strategy. And what that means is you you just basically say, okay, if I make, you know, let's say I make $3,000 a month, I'm going to put 300 bucks a month and I'm just going to buy Ethereum on the first of the month or Bitcoin on the first of the month. And um, by just doing that consistently, it kind of takes the thinking out of it. And you just say, okay, if it's up, I'm buying. If it's down, I'm buying. So that way the the emotions of it kind of can be reduced because crypto is super volatile and like it's hard to, you know, trade, especially if that's not your thing. Mm -hmm. It's better to just like invest for the long haul and just start accumulating it. And, and you'll see after, you know, after a year, now you have $3,600 and hopefully it went up. So now you have, you know, a couple, maybe $10,000 if you're lucky, right? So I think that's kind of like the best way to, to get into it is just start dipping your feet and just buying it over time. And can just anybody create a cryptocurrency? Because I saw there was that Dogecoin thing that was like a joke, but then it became real. And then like, can anybody, can I just decide, well, maybe not me, but <laughs> can someone just decide they're going to make a cryptocurrency and just do it? Like, is there no yeah. regulations or laws or no one can Anybody it? can create a cryptocurrency. So I've right. got to actually something about that. Uh, Elon last week mm. tweeted about his puppy. He, he got a Shiba Inu, mm. um, and he called him something like Fluffy Shiba, Fluffy Inu, something like that. It's mm. a super cute pup. He tweeted a picture about it, uh, and he put something like Dogecoin as a rival. Is Fiba? I don't know. Literally within the hour, someone created the crypto with the same name of the dog's name and and this crypto went up like 3000 percent in 24 hours because because some people literally track elon tweets and if he talks about any crypto people are buying into it because it's mm. gonna go viral so yeah someone created it just because of elon Musk's dog <laughs> <laughs> well and then people yeah. buy it yeah now you can buy it if you want yeah and then what do you do with it well for this one it's it doesn't have any utility. So you just have it and you hope Elon is going to tweet about it again so more people know about it so the price goes up so you make money. But it doesn't have any 
value like Ethereum. Like it's just like, a, do you think, a meme coin. Okay, so do you think at some point people will not be going to Wells Fargo or Barclays or other banks and they'll be buying houses with Ethereum, they'll be buying their groceries with Ethereum, they'll be buying iPhones with their Ethereum, everything, well, maybe not Ethereum, whatever, like any... Do you think it'll just get rid of all cash and coins and notes? Maybe. So I think... I don't think banks are going to go away. I just think they're going to change how they work. Um, so because the thing about crypto is if you want to be like fully self-sovereign and you want to like have your own Bitcoin wallet, there's a lot of responsibility that goes into that. So you have what's called a seed phrase, which is 24 words, right? And those 24 words is like your the password to your bank account, to your Bitcoin wallet. But that's a huge responsibility that some people are not ready for because if you ever lose those 24 words, you lose access to your account. Oh. You can't so, There's no like retrieve password <laughs> thing. It's gone. Password. It's absolutely gone. And many people lost millions like that. You would write it people. down, surely. Well, yeah, but I mean, how many times you lose things? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you could have a fire, you could have a flood. So many things could happen. You could lose your 24 words and then you would lose all your money. So a lot of people are not ready for that. So what's what companies... I'm not and, ready. I would forget that within a day. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you would write it down and you would forget where it was. So yeah. a lot of what I think is going to happen is that a lot of banks are going to start to embrace crypto. And basically, they're, you're going to have the same bank front end, right? You're still going to be able to log in. But on the back end, they're going to start using crypto more and more because, you know, we've already seen countries phase out cash. The um, Chinese government is coming out with their um, central bank digital currency. The U.S. is on track to do that as well. There's also countries in Europe that are doing it. So, you know, governments all around the world are starting to embrace crypto. It's more transparent. It's more easy to track. Um, there are certain pros and cons of using crypto for um, for a central bank currency. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately the banks will start to adopt it more and eventually we, we won't even notice the difference. I mean, to a certain extent, Venmo is, is has a very similar experience. Like I can send you money whenever with crypto, I can send you money wherever. So we're already kind of on that path, I think. So to bring everything back to you now, um, how did you get started in, in crypto and how did you even decide that that was the path you wanted to go towards? Um, so I found out about cryptocurrencies um, back in 2014. So a little while ago, unfortunately, I was a student, so I didn't have much money to invest back then. Um, so I learned about it um, just via the internet and, and through um, uh, mining it a little bit on the computer that I had at the time. Um, so then, it, so I didn't really participate much in when it went from like $200 to $20,000. Mm -hmm. um, but so then I saw it crash all the way down to like $3,000 and then once it started going above 5,000 is when I started investing again um, with personal funds. And so I just got really interested in it because I, I love the like financial innovation that is occurring on crypto and blockchain. So like every day people are creating like, they're creating new currencies, they're creating like decentralized insurance, they're creating stable coins. Like people are like literally inventing new financial uh, products every day. So I kind of feel like I'm literally seeing like all these like crazy sciences try these different experiments and some are sticking and some are not. And like, it's so cool to like just see people like inventing new stuff every day. Um, so that's really what kind of like keeps me interested in it, you know? Um, so yeah, I sold like all my stocks to go into crypto pretty much. And like, I'm still like 90% invested um, in it right now. And how did he, how did you go from being just a personal investment to now having an investment fund and helping other people investing in crypto? Sure. So um, I was very lucky that, so after I graduated college, um, I've, I was working predominantly in real estate for different um, real estate investment 
firms. Um, I worked with one firm who they um, they decided, so as a real estate developer, they decided to create a fund to raise capital for their development projects. And so I got a lot of experience with just creating investment funds through that. Um, so kind of as a side side gig at the time, you know, I was still working my full-time job with a friend of mine, we decided, hey, um, we were in this crazy uh, WhatsApp group chat and it's like we have like 5,000 messages a day and like the, it's like a crazy chat room, um, but we love it. So um, some of these guys were like, hey, like, you know, let's pool some money together or like, hey, you guys know a lot. You should like invest our money for us. And so that's kind of how it started. It just started. We just created um, just we just created a wallet and we said, send us money to this wallet and we'll start managing it. And then in parallel, uh, we basically like home brewed it. So we just I was able to like leverage my experience and some of like the legal documents that we had. And we just created a fund and we just started small at first. Like we just had a um, couple, you know, we had like twenty, thirty thousand $30,000. And, you know, at the peak we got to 7 million and we started small. We never even thought we'd get to that number. Um, but what you do know, you mean you got to 7 million? Seven People investing seven, 7 million or you earned 7 million? What do you mean by that? So, so we ended up raising uh, 2.3 million from in, from investors. So first, when we started, it was just me and my friend uh, Nacho, right? And we managed to raise a couple hundred thousand. Then we brought in a third guy, um, and he was kind of like our money guy. Yeah. And he got us an investor for a million, and then we got to the 2.3 million over time. And then that, because we started at a, a good time, uh, we grew that 2.3 million to about 7 million. So. Holy shit. <laughs> that's, that's big bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It was, it was also super stressful too because, you know, yeah. other people's money, they're big numbers. I was going to say that, yeah. When you're <laughs> playing with other people's money, it's not the same than when it's your own. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Well, you're managing your own money can be stressful too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was like, you know, that was a great journey um, that I went through there with, with that firm. Mm. And maybe just for people who don't know how an investment fund works, and I mean, not to go into the details, but so basically you are better than me to manage crypto and invest in crypto. So I'm going to give you a hundred bucks. Rosie's going to give you a hundred bucks. Someone else is going to give you a hundred bucks. So we have 500 here and it's here. No way. Like take this 500 and invest it because I don't understand how it works. So you're going to do it for me. That's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. And how do you, well, like basically you take a, a small percentage of that money to pay yourself as well, like, cause you need to make a living. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So most hedge funds, the way that they're structured is they'll have, uh, they'll, they'll have like a management fee that's usually like one to 2%. Hmm. And they'll charge that on, on an annual basis. And then they'll have a performance fee as well. So the performance fees, they range, you know, 10 to 20%. It's pretty typical. Yeah. So, so that's how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, yeah, if you make me a lot of money, I'm going to give you more money to say thank you. <laughs> and if you don't do anything, you're not going to get much. Exactly. Keep it simple. Exactly. <laughs> and so you, do you actually do that? You work with individuals? So if anybody listening wanted to work with you, they could do? Um, they can reach out to me. We can discuss if it's something that's uh, viable for them. Um, because of the way that the SEC laws, I can't, you know, say, hey, yeah, I can't solicit, but, you know, we can have a conversation about, you know, your goals and, and, and you know, we'll see what we can do from there. Okay. I had a question, but it's gone. Oh, here we go. One second. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Is that something, it's interesting because you, I mean, you, you, you got into it in, 2014 you said when just after the first wave the 20k thing and it went down to like yeah between around five at this time i think that's when i bought my first one as well like i got in when it was like six or seven i think and at this time like no one knew if that was just a joke a fad online if it was gonna last um it's been seven years now when i think about it it's quite, it's interesting um but obviously you graduated later, so you actually started this business later. But even now, I don't think 
I'm pretty sure if you ask, you know, 100 people or 1,000 people, a vast majority of normal people are going to say this is just a internet thing. It's never going to last. It's never going to be there. Um, I, I, and I mean, if I ask my parents, they're not going to even know what it is, you know. Yeah. Um, going in, in business, decided to go in business in crypto can be seen still, I think, as a risky move potentially. Um, yeah, I don't know. How, how did you feel about that? You just had a gut feeling that it was going to work out? Um, you, you know, the process, I, maybe. yeah, I think, you know, I read a lot about it and also I was following this other gentleman on YouTube called Chris Dunn, who he has a, like a trading and investing course. So I really, I'm really thankful for other analysts in the space who were like spreading the good word, so to speak. And I kind of kept my mind open to it. And I also recognized the opportunity because it was like, okay, if you're wrong, you can lose money. But if you're right, the gains are like yeah, substantial, <laughs> right? Re really substantial. So I think I just kind of saw the opportunity from like a macro perspective and, and decided to get in, you know, I risk what I could at the time and then you know, the rest was history was being holding on, I, you know, it hasn't been an easy journey, you know, when we had the March crash from COVID, uh, Bitcoin went down all the way back down to like 3k. Um, a lot of people lost a lot of money, a lot of people sold out. So and like, we've had crazy volatility, right, even earlier this year. So I think it's definitely, you got to have like the long view in mind, you got to almost like not think about it too much and just ride the wave so to speak. Um, so, so yeah, I think, you know, for me, it was just really seeing the, the opportunity and the upside and then just seeing kind of like the innovation that, mm. that was happening. Have you thought about doing a program for people like me who have zero clue and like really breaking it down from basics of like what it is, how to do it, all that kind of thing? Is that something that's interested you or not really? So I used to do a lot more videos on like financial literacy. And um, actually, when I was in college, I, I had a whole club about that. Mm -hmm. I haven't been doing, a, you know, doing such a good service to my YouTube followers lately. <laughs> um, but to be honest, I think there's a lot of other people who have already done that at this point, right. you know, and there's so many good resources out there. Um, that it's just at, at this point, if like, if you want to find out about it, just, you know, go on YouTube for free, and you'll find yeah. you know or pay for a course and and get it that way yeah i personally think that in the next decade and longer like all those crypto are still going to be there uh, i don't want to put an amount on it but i think bitcoin will be much higher than it is now and everything i i it's probably going to become part of our lives the whole cryptocurrency blockchain um universe is going to become more and more present, especially going into the metaverse now and everything. Um, is that something you want to focus your energy on in the future? Or would you have other projects, dreams, uh, maybe for, for later that you want to achieve? So I think life and investments are cyclical. So in the same way that we saw a huge run up, um, from 2014 to 2017 in in crypto from like you know 200,000 from 200 to 20,000 I think we're going to see a similar thing here maybe for like the next couple of years it's going to be really good for crypto as people kind of like adopt this new technology um and then we'll probably get something kind of like the dot com boom where it's like you know everyone's making money it's going great and then people start going crazy and then we had the dot com crash right so we'll probably get that kind of similar cycle, I think. Um, the good news is I think we probably have like one to two more years of like good times um, until kind of our expectations exceed what the reality is. Right now, I think it's kind of the reverse. Reality is kind of still exceeding mm. people's beliefs, so to speak. Um, so I think, you know, I think how I see crypto is like I'm seeing it kind of like as a platform for me to like r really increase my wealth and also, you know, build good um, business 
like experience as well. And then, you know, I've, I've been consulting for a while and it's something I really enjoy. Um, I used to do a lot of real estate consulting and like just helping, um, mostly I would help like developers. And I really enjoy that because they're creating things in the physical world that are like helping people or like, I love people who make good designs, uh, because they're like really, like a well-designed building adds value to a neighborhood. A poorly designed building, you know, doesn't. So I like supporting people in their projects. So my idea would be to um, maybe participate in more consulting for different projects, you know, helping people either raise capital or like, you know, Alvi has a sweet project that, that I would love to help him on more kind of like. So that that's kind of where I see myself. I think, you know, I'm going to be involved in crypto for a while, for probably forever. But I think, you know, now, right now is the season to focus on that. And then there will be a, a season to focus more on other things. Yeah, I see. Do you remember your question? Oh, it was about the course. That oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, though, thank you for sharing about your journey. Uh, it's really a pretty cool journey, I think, from, you know, UK to Miami through many countries. Um, yeah, and, and I'm curious to see. I don't know. I've, I, I find it interesting, the fact that you managed to create this this life and everything by moving around. I, I feel like a lot of the time, you know, when you are being moved from a place to another in your young age, young years, you you can mess up with your head and everything. <laughs> uh, and I think it's, it's, it's great that you found a way to have this stability and to, well, eventually, uh, you know, go by yourself and, and, and enjoy life in the US right now. You're in, in a great place also in Miami. Uh, Miami is, is, is booming and it's probably going to be booming for the next few years. A lot of companies and stuff are moving there. So you are at the right place at the right time for, for what you do. I think so. You know, mm. I, a, a lot of it is like, you know, the truth is I'm very lucky and sometimes I just feel like I'm just a surfer riding the wave, you know, and like <laughs> I'm trying my best not to fall. I'm trying my best to, you know, ride it as well as I can. But, you know... Uh, I think we all need to realize that a, a lot of, you know, our blessings are kind of just what's happening in the world, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's been really good also talking with you guys and also seeing your journey. It's very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Got one last question for you that we ask every guest. If you could speak to anyone, dead or alive, but it has to be a real person, <laughs> that you think is the most interesting person uh who would you pick and why um i think i would probably pick uh frederick nietzsche because I don't know who that is he's uh so he's a philosopher who uh from europe who he basically helped in during the like he rebutted a lot of things that um catholicism had said and he really helped kind of create like this atheist movement and so he was a philosopher and it's not because i'm like anti-religious but really what he did in a way was help people free their minds from this like mental enslavement that or like this indoctrination rather um that the church had like really propagated and so he wrote many many essays about like um how also like the classes system was working to hold people down and so he was really about um, like personal empowerment and like, you know, seeing through the veil, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I think he's a really interesting character and I would love to see like what his thoughts would be about like what's happening right now in the world. Now that like his main, you know, his main thing was trying to get people to think more freely, um, by kind of really rebutting, um, Christianity at the time. But so like now I'd be really interested to see what he thinks about like social social media and like how the news is programming us and and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's that's who I would choose. When was he around? At what what time? Um, let me find out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of him, so yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. That would be interesting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, right he's <laughs> he's from uh, he, so he was born in eighteen forty four. Okay. Yeah. All right, and he was from Germany. Okay, cool, interesting. I'll, I'll check that out. 
if people want to get in touch with you because they have any personal question or business question or, or whatever, what is the best way to reach out to you? Uh, the best way would probably be either on my LinkedIn or my Instagram. Um, I'm reworking my website right now, so it's down. So those two are the best spots right now. And that's no way pairing. All right. I'll make sure to link it in the description so people can easily find you. Should I link your YouTube channel as well or you don't yeah, do that? Sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm going to get back on that for yeah. sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Noe, for taking the time to speak to us. And thank you for explaining everything about Bitcoin and Ethereum. And you've made it somewhat clearer. I still don't <laughs> fully understand it, I'll be honest. But you've made it a hell of a lot clearer to me. So thank you so much. And I hope the listeners as well maybe found it interesting and learned something new as well. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. And for everybody listening, we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you come back next week and have a good day. Thank you, guys. Bye.